You're listening to the Learning While Working podcast from Sprout Labs. Sprout Labs builds digital learning platforms that enable enterprises to author, deliver and measure high-impact digital learning ecosystems. Welcome to our next podcast in our series on AI and L&D. I'm Robin Pettit, the founder of Sprout Labs and the host of the Learning While Working podcast. To go along with this podcast series, there's an ebook as well that includes edited transcriptions of all the interviews, and it includes an introduction to what is AI, what is machine learning, and some of the jargon that gets talked about in the interviews as well. That ebook is in the resources section of the Sprout Labs website. In this interview, I'm talking with Mark Zansanders, CEO of Filtered. Filtered is a platform that makes recommendations about learning. In our daily lives, we see recommendations and actions all the time around us on platforms like Spotify and Netflix. Netflix is not actually a great model to copy in L&D, and in this interview, we actually discuss why. Recommendations and learning are a natural fit. The process of seeing patterns in how an organization is working and what an individual needs and then finding the right learning experience is a core function of what of L&D. This is something a recommendation engine can help with. Mark uses a bit of L&D jargon at one stage called collaborative filtering. Basically, this is a series of techniques that uses past actions and interests and how they relate to other users. Filters platform is actually a combination of a chat and a recommendation engine. There's a version of it called Magpie that's specifically designed for L&D people. Magpie is a great way to experience what chatbots are and what recommendations engines can do. I really do encourage you to search it out and give it a try because it's just a really great way to experience what a chatbot is and also what recommendation engines can do. Mark, welcome to the Learning While Working podcast. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me, Robin. So just to get us started, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on what the potential for this sort of cluster of technologies that get called AI are for L&D. Well, big. I think, uh, yeah, the potential is is huge, just like it is in in other industries. And that would be the main reason that I have for thinking it, seeing seeing it working in uh, in commerce and marketing and advertising and, and what have you. And I guess one of the reasons that I think it's going to be, I mean, more specifically be big in, in L&D is just that with L&D, you have a lot of data. So you have a lot of content, you have a lot of people, you have a lot of people doing things with that content. And it is just impossible to manage that data, draw insights from it, if you just have humans doing that work. And that's where AI, and not just AI, but um, more basic automation comes in. Currently in, in L&D, I don't think we do loads of um, loads of that, but the, the, there's all sorts of opportunity because the, the data is, um, is vast. And the prize is big. I mean, it's a huge industry. It's a $200 billion industry globally. So they'll, you know, there'll be the investment. There'll be guys trying to uh, solve some important problems and you know we're we're one of them. There are others that are are doing that too. So yeah, the potential big in a in a word. Yeah, it's it's interesting that quite often the systems we use in digital learning collect lots of data, but we quite often don't do a lot with it because so I think quite often as L and D people actually coming from a very human centered background, they are not data driven by their first intent. Yeah, you come, occasionally come across people who are actually more data-driven, but it's not a natural spot for them to work from? 
Yeah, I think that's probably true, though, well beyond um, L&D, you know, in, in general, certainly in the UK, but I think it's a global phenomenon. There is an aversion to numbers and data and spreadsheets and that, and that sort of thing. So maybe you're right that there is a little bit of, more of a kind of a human bent in, in, in our industry, but I think it's actually, it's pretty pervasive and that's something that the global workforce needs to, and is, you know, gradually wake up to and be better at those harder skills. Some of those I mentioned, coding obviously as well. And I think, you know, you, you do that more as you start to see the rewards um, for it. So as you start to draw out some some insights from maybe some smaller data sets and you put those to the powers that be at your company and and, um, and, and they're agreeing that this is um, this is helpful, affecting performance in this department and for these people in the in these ways, then you grow in confidence and you get into a, a positive feedback loop and you can continue and grow it. But, but we're still probably some way from that. And maybe we are even, like you, you suggest, a little bit further back than, than, than others areas yeah it's actually in another podcast i was talking with someone who's been working a lot with predictive analytics in higher education and he actually made the comment that essentially education is so different to say e-commerce because there's so many more variables at play i know you've been doing some work with recommendation engines rather than prediction systems how did you end up sort of moving towards that sort of recommendation end of using ai Sure. Well, um, we didn't come to it, what we're doing now, by thinking, okay, where can AI best be used? We came to this from the point of view of a learner, a a member of staff, an employee, a worker, a person um, with a job um, needs to know certain things, but there's just so much um, out there. So the first adaptive technology that we created was a tech to work out with Microsoft Excel what for a given user are the most relevant functions and features that that user should learn in order to be more productive and add most value in their role, given their aspirations, given what they already know and, and what have you. And that was that was you know a few years ago. And then you know more recently we've got to okay, well Excel is um is well to us anyway interesting, but that's a relatively narrow domain. If we expand that to everything that a person with a job might need to learn in order to upskill and, and do their job better. There are many, many, many providers um, and many of those providers, most of those providers have, have a lot of content and in some cases tens of thousands of learning assets. So how do you connect an individual with the most relevant learning asset? And AI and recommendation engines and recommender systems and some of the established algorithm types like collaborative filtering are designed for exactly this purpose. I mentioned some of the other fields that are relevant earlier, but you know, if you look at, say, entertainment and Netflix and Spotify, or if you look at social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, all of these huge companies have to get relevant content to their user in order to you know, drive up usage and um, get subscriptions to happen or clicks to happen or whatever. And we're doing exactly that in corporate learning, where the problem is basically identical. Of course, there are nuances, but um, structurally, it's the same problem. Loads of content, a proliferation of content, lots of users with um, individual characteristics, not always making the best choices in terms of what they should learn next. And most of the time, you're not making any choice whatsoever. So a recommender system is a way of just getting the right content to the right user, as it is in other fields of modern life. Yep. 
and those platforms and um, recommender systems are really quite mature as well compared to some of the other sort of machine learning technologies. So it sort of becomes a, a bit more of a solid technical space to build on as well. Yeah, I think so. With predictive analytics, that's reasonably mature as well. But I, I feel blessed a little bit with what we're doing because we can point to you know Spotify and Netflix, and these guys th these guys are so ubiquitous. If you don't use it, well, if you don't use any of them, you're probably in a population of you know like 13 people globally. So for anyone you're trying to explain this to, you can point to one of these algorithmic conduits between content and and users. And it explains it very well. I think, yeah, when when you get beyond that to less tangible, maybe more exciting to to some uses of AI, like in medicine or or robotics, it's a little bit harder to see how it might just be it might be relevant straight away. But in getting right, the right content to right users, it's just so it's so well established. Amazon's the other example, the other massive example. eBay as well. Yeah. So yes, they are pretty mature, but not in in corporate learning. So you know, corporate learning is often the the industry that that time forgot. So, you know, we and, and some others are, are trying to catch up, catch up on some lost time. Yeah. So I feel like I have to talk with someone in this particular series of podcasts about the idea of a sort of the Netflix of learning, Mark. And it's um, interesting because I keep on hearing the term and I wonder whether or not people sit there and go, it looks like Netflix or it actually has the technology under Netflix. You're right. It's a great way of explaining the technology. But I'm just sort of a bit concerned that sometimes the, when people are sort of talking about it, they're not realising the, what, what needs to be below the Netflix-style interface. Yeah, I think it's quite an interesting conversation starter because, like you say, that has become a little bit of a cliche in the industry, um, Netflix of learning. And, and it's also it's a little bit confusing in the case of Netflix because, of course, Netflix is, yes, there are recommendations, but it's also a player. And, it, and that interface is very, you know, it's decent and it's certainly effective and used by many people. So when, when people talk about the Netflix of learning, are they talking about user interface, UI, or are they talking about um, recommendation capability, AI? And so I, I'm genuinely not clear on, on what they are talking about there. And that's one of the reasons that when I did mention Netflix, so I made the, made the mistake. But I think it's much better to use, possibly Twitter's a, a better example. So social media, there are all these tweets out there you follow people, um, but the, the algorithms also sort which tweets are going to be most relevant to you, given what you've liked in the past and the activity of other of other users. And it's there's less room then to kind of you know confuse it, conflate it with a player or just a user interface. The other thing I'd say though that about Netflix, since it comes up so often, is that the way that they are trying to get you to the right content is so it's actually very sophisticated in one sense, because they have chosen really high profile films and TV series that have very enticing images and thumbnails. And a lot of work goes into and In fact, there's a lot of AI that they use and split testing to, to get the right thumbnails in front of people. So you've got a big screen at the top um, showing you, you know, whatever they think is the most um, exciting, the latest release. And in a sense, this is not personalized. So let's say, you know, there's a new series of um, Orange is the New Black. They'll make a big splash of that. And they know that that's that part of the reason is that to put that stick that on almost everyone's screen, maybe it's everyone's um, version of 
of Netflix. Because people talk about film a lot, that's a social activity, they're getting the benefit of that um, effective advertising of the work that they do and the, you know, the, that um, programme that they want to put in front of people. And then below that, they have the genres and what you most recently viewed. And there's nothing algorithmic about that, the films that are on, on offer um, and what have you. So Netflix actually, partly because of what it does, is it's less dependent on, on algorithms to make recommendations than many of the other examples. So, so if you are trying to present your work as being, well, it's recommendation first, as we do, um, Netflix is possibly the lousiest of all of the examples to pick. Um, so if we're going with entertainment, I would pick Spotify um, or why would you know, choose, um, choose, choose Twitter or any, any other company, basically. Yeah, and the way you've just picked apart some of the, the featuring and the way Netflix focuses on their own productions as well is just really nice because essentially you're right, it's not a great metaphor, whereas actually the way, say, Spotify's radios and suggestions work are actually a more powerful way of thinking about it. Yeah it's also it's the, it's to do with the volume so with netflix of course they've got quite a big selection but it's a few thousand whereas with spotify it's i don't even know but i i'm sure it's in the millions of of songs so the concept of the unknown unknowns in music is absolutely massive the concept of unknown unknowns in film a lot less and and it's a lot chunkier that, you know, films are longer, even TV series are a lot longer to, you know, to go through with something. So if you get the recommendation wrong with a film, then it's more of a, a big deal because you've lost a couple of hours or the user's lost a couple of hours of their of their life. And then learning is, the same, is much more like Spotify in that respect. There are literally, well, it'll be millions of learning assets if you consider all the libraries out there, the internet of, you know, all the instructive, informative articles on, online. And then, of course, what companies create themselves in many cases, an individual company will have, you know, hundreds of thousands of assets, PDFs, MP4s, PowerPoints, you know, all sorts of stuff that they'll want to make available to, or some of which they'll want to make available to their staff. So um, you add all of that up and you're in the many, many millions and possibly billions of learning assets. So again, unknown unknowns are really important. And so getting a, a recommendation that uh, reaches into the, those unknown unknowns and brings it to a, a user that wouldn't otherwise discover it is more valuable than it is with Netflix. So to dive into your platform that your company's been working on, does that sort of just pick up on learning, past learning activities, or is it bringing in a larger ecosystem of data, or is it profiling people in other ways, or is it doing it all? Okay, yeah, so thanks for asking. Our platform is called Magpie, and it's... Okay, so what it does is it ingests learning content from a client. So, you know, those three large broad categories that I mentioned, the uh, libraries, uh, the internet, and what a client, you know, a large company might have themselves. So part of the algorithm stack is understanding that content. So you've got to be able to classify according to competencies, according to difficulty level, according to you know, various characteristics. So understand the content, that's what the part of the stack has to do. Then it needs to understand the user. So that's one of the reasons that we have a chat interface conversational um, UI so that we can ask some questions of the user. Of course, if the client already has some of that data, then we can ingest that. But basically to get as, um, as much as possible in as reasonable a time as possible, information about the user that, that 
pertains to making them a useful recommendation. And, and those two sides of it, it sounds really obvious when you describe it this way, but I'm, I don't think that it's always thought of as simply as this. I do think it's useful to think of it in this way. You've really got to understand the content. You've really got to understand the user, the learner. And then, of course, you need to have a smart way of matching the two and as part of that, a feedback mechanism so that the system will improve over, over time. So that's sort of, you know, at a, at a very high level and, and exactly the level that I talk best about it, way to describe what we're doing. You know, you've got, you've, you've also got, again, this is one of the reasons that we moved to chatbot. You've got to be really careful with privacy. So it's all very well having, um, you know, delivering a personalized service, but personalization obviously requires data in order to personalize. Otherwise, you, you're stuck with generic. So to ingest data that is pre-existing and maybe it exists on LinkedIn or elsewhere, it's increasingly, and, and rightly, I think, frowned upon or at least thought about more. So that's why we prefer to just kind of get it from scratch unless there's a very good reason to ingest it right away and, and ask it explicitly, you know, in this conversation of UI, you know, about your department, about your aspirations, about what you already know, about what excites you so that we can make better recommendations. So you're doing it as a, as a conversation. You know, so individual worker, uh, we would love to help you learn the most useful stuff. Here's some questions so that we can get to know you better, so that we can make some better recommendations. Here's a quick one now, so you've got a flavour for the kind of thing that we can deliver. And if you like that, tell us some more and we, we get more into it. Okay, that's actually a really nice um, formula and way of thinking about it. It's actually quite a sort of explicit explanation and profiling and revealing of personal data rather than the the sort of collection of it as, as people are working. I'm glad you think so. I mean, actually, it, it's, it's worth always, as, I think, as you sort of assess any anything in learning, comparing it to um, an adjacent field. So, so again, to come back to, say, Spotify, now, they don't have to have a chatbot asking you about your sort of musical likes and dislikes. So they probably at the start, you can you know indicate some genres um, that, that you like. They don't need to do that because they get so much data from people putting headphones on and playing Spotify for eight hours and going through in eight hours, what, probably 20 songs an hour, 20 yeah. tracks an hour. They're skipping or they're playing and in some cases, you know, even favoriting. So they have so much data on what you like and don't like that they don't need to ask the explicit questions in learning it's not a it's not like that no one's going to be learning for eight hours a day and learning assets generally aren't you know the the length of a of a three or four minute track some are of course but many aren't so you've got to understand the learner and get the data you need in order to make recommendations in a different way that's you know one of the nuances that i was kind of referring to early on that although there are these you know analogous situations in analogous companies like say twitter and spotify and netflix or whatever there are very interesting i think i mean i find it fascinating nuances between them um, when you look at or how what the user activity is and what data you can actually um, pull in order to make good recommendations interesting because it's, we've got this spot of talking about your platform and a couple of times when i've talked to to people in L&D, people about the potential of some of these technologies. They want something to grasp, they want something to do. And this is one reason why I really wanted to talk to you because you actually have a platform that people can start to trial and play with. How do people get started? That's a good question. Well, you can go to filter.com and you can try Magpie. That's one of the links on the on the homepage. And we, unlike some of our competitors, not like all of them, but unlike some of them, we just make, there's a free version that people can just you know, experiment with and like, enjoy, ask us questions about. We're very sort of you know, happy to put that there and be challenged on it. And that's the best way to, to start. And anyone that's interested in anything that, you know, you and I have discussed, Robin, very happy for them to be in touch with me directly. Love 
discussing this sort of thing. Cool. And I'll, I'll make sure some of the links to some of those things are in the podcast notes and the ebook that goes along with the podcast. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Robin. Thank you for listening to the Learning While Working podcast. If you enjoyed this show, please leave a review. If you want to find out more about Sprout Labs, go to sproutlabs.com.au. We regularly run webinars and publish ebooks and guides about learning while working.